Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. I'm going to start off with a video. Uh, it's Sanctity of Life Sunday, as many of you know that. And I have somebody got this video, and I just thought it was so good. It's kind of like a rap, but it, it just... I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at, you might be a new Christian and still wondering about this whole sanctity of life thing, or, or you may have, have experienced the pain of abortion in your past. Listen to the end, because it's really about God's grace. This is really a, just a beautiful way of expressing God's truth and God's grace, no matter uh, what you've been through in this area, okay? choice. Is it really? Or is it silly to say that a choice is given when no voice is given to the one whose life is taken away? No, not silly. Tragic. A tragedy of epic proportions where epic distortions have led to an epidemic of holocaustic abortions. Murder. Yes, I said the word. It isn't easy to hear, but it needs to be heard. So it needs to be said. Because blood has been shed. Because babies are dead. So I will not opt for a soft word instead. Choice? Yes, choices are made. Some choose to silence babies' heartbeats with violence. And hitmen called doctors choose to get paid. Now here's where it gets dramatic, where I get labeled a right-wing extremist, a religious fanatic. But let me be emphatic. I'll take any name as long as I proclaim Christ and save babies from being sacrificed while I'm at it. That would make me ecstatic. So go ahead and aim your verbal automatic and fire away and get erratic. To me, that will not be in the least bit problematic. But here is where the problem lies. It's where Christians choose to compromise. It's where we choose to cover up our eyes while baby after baby dies. It's where sinners are sinking into hell and we have saving truths we choose to refuse to tell. That's the reality. That's the current mentality. Some offer baby girls and boys to an idol called choice in the name of convenience and individuality. While Christians refrain as sinners perish in vain and babies are slain through legalized medical brutality. So where is the hope? For the Christian who's failed to take a stand, he still extends his nail-pierced hand. So for the sake of his glory and the sake of his fame, let him fan your flickering flame and casting aside the fear and the shame, repent and obey and speak truth in his name. So where is the hope? For the sinner, there is faith and repentance. 
because God can wipe away your sentence because he chose to send his son, the one he chose to sacrifice in the sinner's place so he can give sinners grace because there is no sin without or within that his redeeming blood cannot erase. He can impute to sinners his righteous perfection through his death and glorious resurrection. So don't let it get distorted. You can be forgiven even if you've aborted. That's the truth. Don't ignore it. If your heart is contrite, he'll make it right and restore it. Choice. Some will make the choice to arise, to open their eyes, to see through the lies, to turn from foolish to wise. Choice. Some will make the choice to refuse, to reject truth and good news, to still stumble and snooze, and they'll have a whole lot to lose. Choice. What will you choose? I was just very touched by that video. So the title for today is How to Survive a Crisis. How to Survive a Crisis, Joshua 3, verses 3 to 5. One of my favorite movies is Raiders of the Lost Ark. I still remember watching that the first time and just, you know, it was just one of the all-time great Hollywood movies. And Indiana Jones, as you know the story, Indiana Jones spends a lot of time in the movie chasing down the Ark of the Covenant. It's really the, the Ark that we're going to be looking at here in Joshua chapter 3. And they spend the whole time chasing the Ark. He first, he digs it up. Then he's chases, he's on a horse and he catches up to the truck. And then he, on the boat, and then he sneaks onto the sub and then into the Nazi regime and, and he's, he's desperate to find the ark and then he's also desperate to follow it. Wherever it goes, Indiana Jones wants to be where the ark is. That's the whole focus of this movie. And it's really a picture of what we are called to do as we're going to see today from Joshua 3. It's what we're called to do. In fact, the key to, to surviving a crisis, which we're going to apply it to, is following the ark. Many here today are in crisis, I know. You've been telling me the stories, we've been praying for each other. You're, we're, either, if we're, we're either in a crisis, coming out of a crisis, or going into a crisis, right? That's kind of the human condition. If we're breathing, there's a crisis we're facing, right? Uh, but this is the key to surviving the crisis. Israel was in a crisis. They're at the river, this flooded river, they can't cross it. Three days staring at this impossible obstacle. If you weren't here last week, get the CD, listen to that. This is part two really to it. But they're, they're facing this impossible crisis, this flood. And, and we talked about how it was a lesson of dependence, how we have to be completely dependent on God. But the second part of the lesson today is to turn our eyes from the flood and focus on the ark. We turn our eyes away from the flood, and we focus on the ark. That's the key to surviving a crisis. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship today. We thank you for each one of us being here. And I know many of us are here in the, fa- in the midst of crises, in trials, and in, in, in difficult times, and spiritual attacks, and temptations, and 
so many sickness, <laughs> sickness. But Lord, we just thank you for your word today and pray for your mercy and grace and pray that your spirit would touch us and remind us how to survive a crisis. What's really the only way to you and the only way through this life and in a, in a, in a, in the only way to finding our purpose and achieving our potential is through Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read the chapter first of all because it, we're not going to finish the chapter. But I'm going to read it because it just you see the big picture here. Joshua chapter 3 verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Woo! We're going to have some fun with this. Uh, don't miss next week, too, because wait till you see all the pictures of our spiritual battle, and, and we're going to really hit the types hard. But today, I want to focus on verses 3 to 5. Verse 3, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, and you are, you are to move out from your positions and follow it, then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before, but keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So we see the key here, the key to the crisis is following the ark. Follow the ark. The ark. The ark is a type. What is the archetype of a picture of? An Old Testament picture of a New Testament truth. And what is it a picture of? 
Jesus, right? Jesus. Joshua is a type. Joshua, Jesus, same exact word. One's Hebrew, one's Greek. Means uh, God saves. Same exact word. But now the ark is also a picture of Jesus. Specifically, the work of Christ. The ark is a picture of the work that Jesus Christ, that Joshua, our Joshua, came to do on our behalf. And it's central to crossing the Jordan. Remember the Jordan is a picture of judgment, spreading judgment. It's a picture of judgment for for sin and the result is death. That's what it's a picture of. But the ark is central to crossing that river of judgment, to crossing the Jordan. And it's a It's a picture of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and how we avoid judgment, God's judgment, how we avoid that by following Joshua and the ark through the river. It's that picture. The ark is central. It's referred to 21 times in chapters 3 and 4, the crossing. The ark is mentioned 21 times. It's vital, central foundation to the crossing. Now, the ark, we find it in Exodus 25, verses starting with verse 10. Have them make a chest of Achaia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to the four feet with the two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of Achaia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark, and they are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. Okay, so it's a chest of wood. You all saw the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a chest of wood covered with gold set up inside the tabernacle. The tabernacle. What was, what was the purpose of the tabernacle? That's where God came down and met with the Israelites, right? That's where he met with Moses. That's where he met with with man. He he was in the tabernacle. And the ark is kept in the tabernacle. Okay, now this is important. The ark was a replica of something that was already in existence in heaven. Did you know that? Moses didn't come up with it. God already has the ark in heaven and it was been there all the time. In fact, in Revelation 11, verse 19, 11, verse 19, Then God's temple in heaven was open, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. The ark that we have, that they had here, was, is a replica of what is in heaven. And why is it in heaven? Because it's a picture of the work of Jesus Christ, what God was sending his son to accomplish. It's, it's in heaven itself. It's in the temple in heaven. The ark is a picture of Jesus and his work on this earth. And the same with the tabernacle. The ark is inside the tabernacle. That's the, the, the temporary temple they would set up, the tent-like structure. And that that's the same picture. It's a picture of the work of Christ and why Christ came. In fact, in John, John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh. Talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word, Logos. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Now, this is where it gets interesting. The word became flesh and made his dwelling. The word, that's one word there, made his dwelling, is the word that we get tabernacled. 
It means tabernacle. In Greek, it's the same exact word. You could say, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's the same word because that's exactly what Jesus came to do. God, just as God came down through his son Jesus Christ and met with man, just as he came down to the ark and the tabernacle there in Jerusalem, Jesus is the ark. He's the tabernacle. He's God coming down to meet with us. He tabernacled with us. Now, what did what did God tell Moses to put inside the ark? What did he tell him? What's that? Testimony. That ver- look at verse 16 again. Uh, Exodus 25, verse 16. Then put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. What is the testimony? What is he talking about? The Ten Commandments. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. That's what was it. one of the things. There's other things in the ark. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But one of the things inside the ark were the Ten Commandments. The stone tablets that Moses brought down off the mountain. The law. He brought it down. That was put inside the ark. Okay? The law was put inside. The law represents God's holiness. It's a, it's a, 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 a picture of his righteousness. The law is, is God's, is a, shows us what God's righteousness is like. That's what it is, okay? Now, the, the ark kept the, the Ten Commandments, kept the law. Who do we know who kept the law? Jesus. Jesus Christ kept God's law. He kept it perfectly. He never sinned. He never sinned. And by keeping the law perfectly, he fulfilled the law. Matthew 5.17 Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to, to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He fulfilled the law by keeping them perfectly. And what does it mean he fulfilled them? Uh, what does that mean? How does he fulfill them? Romans 10.4 Romans 10.4 says, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. That is foundational for what we're talking about today. Christ is the end of the law. Now the word end there in the Greek doesn't mean the law is done in the sense of he, he, he removed it. No, it means the goal. The word end there uh, also means goal. The idea is the end goal. That is what Jesus was. He was the end goal so that we could have so that we could have righteousness by believing. Uh, I'll use a picture that you're going to understand. Football. Football. Um, football, what is the whole... Today, Pittsburgh's playing that evil empire from, uh, you know, up New England, northeast there. And I don't want to start any wars here. But, but the whole goal of this game, if you're a Pittsburgh fan, the whole goal is to try to get to the end zone. Get the ball over the end zone. And, and that, that's the goal. is the end. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus took the law over the end zone. He took it to the goal line. That's what he did with the law, by, by living it perfectly, by living, never sinning, by keeping God's law perfectly, he carried the law over the end. He, that's why it's the end. He carried it over the end zone. He reached the goal line of, for, the, for us. We win because he did that. We celebrate because Jesus did this. He, Jesus lived a perfect life. He kept the law. He never broke the law. And as a result, he could be a substitute for us. He could take our place. He died in our place because he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law's righteous demand. He was able to pay the price. He was able to fulfill the justice of the law, which we're going to talk about a little bit more here in a little bit. Why? So that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. 
That's why he did it. For, we, for all who believe, for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the word believe means, faith. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. We can be forgiven because we are, Jesus took our place. He's our substitute. We can be forgiven. We are actually given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When, when we put our faith in Jesus, God looks at us and he no longer sees sin. He no longer sees all the law we broke. He, never, he doesn't see that anymore. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees Jesus in us. That's what he sees. And this is possible because another beautiful picture of the ark, another work that Jesus Christ had done on the ark. Let's go back to Exodus 25. Because to understand the ark, we have to understand what it really, what really happened here. In Exodus 25, verse 17, make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide. Then down to verse 22, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you my commands for the Israelites. I will meet with you. I will meet with you. The, the covering lid, of the ark was called the atonement cover, or also it's also called other way, other times the mercy seat. It's the same picture. It's the mercy seat. It's the atonement cover. And this is important because God is holy and God is just. Everybody says, oh, in our country, you know, what is God? You, most people say, God is love, God is love, God is love. Well, it's true. But first, very important to understand that God is holy and just. And if you leave that part out, you don't know God. He's holy and just. And he must, if you're just, what do you have to do? You must punish wrong. That's one of the key attributes of God is his justice. He must punish sin. If we break the law, he must punish it. If he doesn't, he is no longer just. If you go before a judge and you go, let's say you have a... You're, have a little bit too much to drink and you run into one of the storefronts down in New Hope and they take you before the, the local judge and you go in and he says, okay, you're going to have to pay for this. It's going to cost this much and, and it's going to cost $5,000. Oh, I don't have $5,000. And so what, is, what does the judge say? Well, I know you, I know your family and uh, you know, I'm, I'm friends with your parents and so uh, I'm going to let you off this time. Could they do that? Sure, they do it all the time, right? There's a lot of, a lot of that going on, isn't there? Uh, it's a big problem in our country. But would that judge be just anymore? No. He would no longer be a just judge. He had just become an unjust judge. And God cannot back down from justice because he's holy and just. All right? But God is loving too. God is loving and merciful too. Very, very important attribute to God, too. For God so loved the world. We know that. He's a very loving God, too. So now we come before this judge. And this judge, we tell the judge, I can't pay. I can't pay the ticket. I can't pay the price. And so the judge says, instead he says, okay, then someone else will pay. It's still going to be paid. In fact, my son's going to pay it. My son will take your place. He will take your punishment. He doesn't owe me a dime. He, didn't never, he never broke the law. He's free. He's not facing prison. He's not facing execution. He's going to take your place. Is this time, is the judge just? Yeah, he kept justice, but he also made sure that it was paid for. Romans 3.25. But God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement 
through faith in his blood. He he does demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God cannot let go of his justice. But someone has to pay the price. Who paid? His son, Jesus Christ. Jesus paid. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Of atonement. And if we will put our faith in Jesus, our trust in him, accept him taking our place, we have experienced atonement. Remember I said it means at one That's the literal meaning. They came up with a new word. They couldn't come up with, they didn't have a, a proper English word, name, definition for this. So they at one We can now be at one with God. We can come back into God's presence. We can have a relationship with God as our loving father again because of what Jesus did. Because his justice was, was satisfied. How? Because we are justified. Justified. Because of what Jesus did for us. It's justified. Definition for justified. Just as if I never sinned. We, it's like we never sinned. Because every sin was put on top of Jesus Christ on that cross. It was paid for by Christ. He took it. He was a sacrifice of atonement. And we must put our trust in Jesus for everyone who believes. We have to put our trust in Jesus. We have to ask Jesus to take our place. We have to repent of our sin and turn, turn from breaking God's law. That proves our faith is real. If, we, if, we, if our faith is real, we will turn from that sin. There will be a change in our life. Very, very important. Jesus Joshua, our Joshua, Jesus has made a way through the Jordan, has made a way through judgment to God. We can now, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you say, God, I repent of my sin. I put my faith in your son. I give my life to him. The moment you do that, we, are, we, are, we have made a way to, through the, the, the river, through the judgment. And we now, the moment you pray that you now have a relationship with God. It starts now. Eternal life doesn't start in heaven someday. It starts the moment you put your faith in Christ, you receive Life, real life, the life you were created to live, the life God wants us to live, the good life, the great life that he wants us to live. We receive it at that moment, and on top of that, we know that we're going to spend eternity in heaven someday too. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear crossing that river, Jordan, anymore, because we know we're going to have eternal life with God someday. That's what we get by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. In Joshua, Jesus made a way through that, but we must put our faith. This is the key. We have to put our faith in the mercy seat. Where is that mercy seat? The blood of the Lamb was sprinkled on that mercy seat. And that blood comes from the cross of Jesus Christ, the ultimate Lamb of God. We have to put our faith in the mercy seat and follow the ark, what Jesus did for us, and keep God's law. Very, very important, keeping his law. If, if our faith, if we truly put our faith in God, our life will change. Does it change immediately? No. But it's, a lot changes immediately, but it's a progressive sanctification. Little by little bit, day by day, week by week, year by year, we start to change. And, and beliefs that we used to have that were against the Bible, we saw that video earlier about life. A lot of us had those, those wrong beliefs and wrong actions. But as we mature in our faith, we start to realize what God's word says and we change our views. 
We, we, start, to, we start to change. And, and do the actions and, and change save us? No, we were saved by faith. But it shows that our faith is real. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, there will be a change. If there's no change, it wasn't real. No change, no Jesus. No Jesus, no change. It's pretty simple, right? So the key is there has to be that change in our life. That's why in Joshua 3, verse 5, back to Joshua, he says, the very next thing Joshua says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourselves means to sanctify yourself. The idea is holiness and purity. Consecration means to keep God's law. To live out his word. Whatever his word says, whatever it says, whether we like it or not, whether it goes along with what we grew up with, it doesn't matter. We, 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 we're going to follow God's word and we're going to live it. And this is very, very important because Christianity is not a buffet. I want you to hear something here. You go to the buffet. I love buffets. You go to the buffet. Kim hates it because she's got to get food for 10 children, you know, running up and down, running up and down. You know, no, don't eat that. Get this. Yeah. Got to eat what they don't like. She hates buffets. But, but I love buffets. You know why I like it? Because I can eat what I like. I go up there and I like this. I can take it. I don't like that. I don't take it. I, I, you eat whatever you like. And you can eat as much as you like. I love buffets. All right. So anyway, uh, I'm a buffet guy. Kim hates them. But Christianity is not a buffet. <laughs> It's not a buffet. We can't take what we like and not take what we like. That's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. I'll use Sanctity of Your Life. Sanctity of Your Life Sunday. I'll use an example. I talk to people, Christians, and, and often, and I know some of you are new Christians and you start here, don't, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to people who have been Christians long enough, they should know better. They say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm a pro-choice Christian. And, and I, I always... Uh, I'd say, oh, that's nice. No, I don't say that. You know what I say. I say, that's impossible. It's impossible for you to be a mature, true Christian and be pro-choice. It's impossible. It, it, it doesn't, it's like an oxymoron. It's impossible. Be, because God's word says, thou shalt not kill. Well, I'm not killing. I just think it's okay for other people to do it. Yeah, but, but Romans 1.32 says this. On, talking about God's judgment here. In Romans 1.32, he says... Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. It's not just the judgment for the person who does the things worthy of death, but approving of them is also under judgment in God's sight. It's wrong. Christians, we can't approve of evil. There's no such thing as a pro-choice Christian. We can only be pro-holiness. God is pro-holiness, and we're called to do that. Same thing goes with, with sexual sin. You see, a lot of this Christians, ah, pornography is not a big deal. What's the big deal? I mean, with premarital sex, you, I can sleep my boyfriend, girlfriend, and you know, it doesn't matter, you know, premarital sex, or, or adultery, or, or I, I'm going to just Divorce, Christians tell me, I'm going to divorce my wife and marry someone else because I fall in love with someone else. I'm just going to divorce them and dump them. And it uh, doesn't matter. Or I'm a Christian, but I don't see what the big deal with homosexuality is. You know, I, I have friends who are homosexuals and, and, you know, they were born that way. Not. And uh, so, they, you know, they, so they, they, there's this whole view out there. But sexual sin is very, very serious. 
Very serious. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Very, very, very serious. Very serious. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. If you missed God can change anyone, boy, I hope you get back and listen to that one. But in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, talks about how serious it is. Do you not know that the wicked will not, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It doesn't get any more clear than that for us if you call yourself a Christian. If that's what we call ourselves. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. This is where the rubber hits the road. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Christianity is not a buffet. It's not a buffet. We can't choose and pick. We are, we are called. We are called to consecrate ourselves. To consecrate ourselves. Uh, to, to, to live out his word. And what is the purpose of his word? It's to live God's purpose. God doesn't tell us all these things to take away our fun. He knows they're going to destroy us. He knows it's going to steal our joy and steal our purpose and destroy our families. He knows that. He knows it's empty. It's a lie that Satan gives. He knows that's what sin is. And that's why he tells us this stuff. And it's important that we make up our mind to do everything in God's word. In fact, Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8. We looked at that a few weeks ago. And Joshua 1.8 where he says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Why do we keep God's word? Prosperous and successful. It's a blessing to keep God's word. God wants to bless us. He wants us to experience the full life that we have in Jesus Christ. The other life's a lie. The thief comes away to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's why. But it, the key is keeping all of God's law. Everything from the Bible is from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. All scripture is God-breathed. Not some, not what you decide to follow. It's all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's all from God. And we must keep God. It's all from God. We must keep God's word, and we must live it. Very, very important. Jesus Christ, the ark, kept the law. And we are called to keep the law to everything in God's word. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? How is he speaking to us? Are we consecrated? Are we living holy lives? If, our, if we're Christians, it says we're, our bodies are the temple. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Are we living 
that holy life or are we being lied to by buying the world's lies and doing what the world wants us to do? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now get this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You, we have to make a choice every day. Are we going to be conformed? It means to be squeezed into a mold, think Play-Doh or clay being squeezed. Or are we going to be transformed by the renewing of our, your minds? And that's through God's word. Through God's word. Are we, are we being conformed or are we transformers? Renewing it through God's word. Are we following the ark? Following Jesus Christ and the work that he's done for us? Are we following it? Every day we must decide, are we going to follow Jesus and his word? And this, going back to our title, Surviving Crisis, it's the only way to, be, to live the life God wants us to live, but it's also the only way to survive a crisis. It's the only way. The Israelites were facing a very serious crisis. Three days staring at this flooded river. There's no way we're going to get across this river. There were no boats. There were no bridges. There was no way across. It was an impossible challenge. But how did they make it through the river? They made it through the river by following the ark. And following Joshua and the ark through the river. The only way we're going to make it through the river is by following the ark. By following Jesus Christ, that's the only way we're going to survive. Just as they had to follow that ark, we must follow Jesus. And what he has done for us, the work that he's done for us, we must follow him through, the first step is putting our faith in him through judgment, but then after that, we have to follow him every day, through every crisis that we face, through every challenge that we face. We have to follow him. Remember Peter, Peter in the, in the walking on the water and the big waves and, and everything, and, and he was doing great. Peter was doing great until he, until he did what? He took his eyes off of Jesus and he looked at the waves. And as soon as he did that, poof, down. The same with us. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Very, very important. Hebrews 12 says this. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. The word race there in the Greek is agon. It's where we get the word agony. And that's what life is, isn't it? It's a race and it's a tough race. It's a tough race. But what is the key to finishing this race? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Coach Jesus. Any runners here? Run some races. I ran cross country. And I remember the, 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 the key, the coach would always say, watch me. The coach would be at certain parts of the race, cross country race, certain key places, the one mile mark, the two mile mark, the finish line. And he's always like, watch me. Listen to me. Because what did we like to do as runners? What are you tempted to do? Look back. Who's behind me? And as soon, inevitably, when you turn your head and look back, what happens? Someone, yeah? Yes, that's exactly right. You lose focus and they catch up. And not only do they catch up, they usually pass you. And the number of times I look back and someone went, boom, right by. Because you lose your momentum, you lose your focus. That's exactly right. 
and they pass you. The key is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Don't look at who's chasing us. Don't look at anything else. Eyes on Jesus. And, and that goes for, that goes for the, that's how to survive a crisis. But even the original crisis, we have to focus on Jesus. The most ultimate crisis facing us is sin and death. Facing us. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Have you ever given your life to him? That first step of, the first step we have to take is a step of faith. We have, just as they followed the ark through the river, through the judgment, each one of us has to do that. We have to follow the ark. We have to come to the mercy seat. The mercy seat, which is sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, which he shed on the cross in our place. He died on the cross in our place so that we could have atonement, so that we could be at one with God, so that we could be justified just as if we never sinned. And it's through the, it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? How is the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts today? Maybe you're telling you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never followed Joshua and the ark through that river of judgment. But God is speaking to you and today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you could be justified. Today is the day that you could be at one with God again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus Christ? Put your faith in him. God is loving. God is just, but he's also loving. He's given us his son. Will you come to that mercy seat? Will you come before God and put your faith in his son Jesus? You can do that right now. Right where you are, sitting, standing, whatever you're doing right now, you can do it right now. The prayer of faith. God, I repent of my sin. I want to be forgiven. I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. Everything I've ever done or ever will do that goes against your law. Forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe he took my place. He paid for my sin. I want to be justified. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I give my life to you, God. Change me. I surrender my life to you. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, something radical amazing has happened to you. The Holy Spirit has come inside of you. You are now, your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And God is going to change you in ways you never thought possible. And you're going to experience a life that you never dreamed of. The joy and the peace and the purpose that God created you to experience. I want to encourage you, if you've prayed that prayer and given your life to Jesus today, that you let somebody know. Tell me, tell family member, friend, tell somebody today. Tell somebody today. Fill out the card, email, call, text, something. Let me know. Let somebody know because we're going to be excited and we're going to encourage you in your new life in Jesus Christ. For those of us who already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe our life needs consecration. There's something in our life that God's convicting us of. Maybe we've listened to the world's lies and, and, and we're, we're starting to wrestle and say, God, I've listened to the lies so long, but I'm starting to hear the truth now. And I'm starting to experience your Holy Spirit's conviction in certain areas that I never would have thought I'd surrender before. But, but, but letting God in the Bible, his word, determine our worldview, the way that we see life, the way that we see everything goes through the filter of God's word so that we're not deceived with the world, so that we're not conformed to the world, but we're transformed. What in our life is God convicting us of? Are you willing to say, God, whatever it is, I surrender. Whatever your word says, I'm going to believe it. Even though my emotions might be fighting this, it's not what I feel. I'm going to believe your word and I'm going to trust you to heal my emotions and transform my emotions. Maybe you're facing a crisis today. If you're not, you will be. We all are, aren't we? And maybe we've tried to get through that crisis on our own, in our own power, our own strength. Maybe we need to share it with another Christian brother or sister or a, a Christian counselor or somebody that can really help us to look at it through God's eyes and get our healing Maybe there's a crisis in our life that we've been trying to handle on our own, in our own strength, in our own power. But today we realize that, what does Jesus want? Where, how would Jesus lead me through this? I need to look to Jesus. In his word and his work on my behalf, I need to look to Jesus. And depend on him. Not just making decisions and, and trying to deal with something in the flesh. But, but letting his spirit show me. Father, I pray that you would give each of us hope today. No matter what crisis we're facing. That, that Jesus is there for us. And he can take us through anything any storm if we keep our eyes on him and we reach out for his hand if we stay close to him we don't have to stay a thousand yards away today now we can hold Jesus hand 
It's after the cross. Father, I pray you take each of us through life's challenges and through crises, whether we're experiencing them now or we're going to, we would always know we have Jesus to depend on and his mercy and his grace. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.